are launching this year with a short series that we are calling Healthy Idolatry. And it's not that idolatry is ever healthy. It's that we have made an idol out of health. And I thought we'd start out this year looking into that. Now, last week, Pastor Jared did a great job of launching this series and talking about the very first issue, which is youth. And our society loves youth. Now, the biblical value, for contrast, is maturity, age, wisdom. Like he mentioned that one verse about how like gray hair is a crown. Okay, why did the boy not put that on the screen? That's my favorite verse, right? 10, 15 years, he'll put it on the screen. I'll tell you what, right? But, uh, but there it is. Anyway, like it's a, that's the biblical value. But our society loves youthfulness, even celebrates immaturity. Go on social media. People are unashamedly celebrating their immaturity. We as a society, we get married later in life now. We move out of mom and dad's house later. We have kids later. We put off adulthood. We even have a term called adulting, and it's a bad word, right? See what's going on? We are valuing youthfulness instead of maturity. Now, you add to youthfulness, you add things like looks and medical health and self-care, and we roll those together, and we have an idol of health. Health is trending like no other time in human history. It's a big deal. Now, I'm going to have to hit pause for a second and give you a very loud caveat. We are actually pro-health. Look with me, if you will, at 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Okay, so yes, we are for healthy exercise, healthy eating, medical health, self-care. We're for those things. Do I need to say it louder for the people in the back? We are pro-health, but we're anti-idolatry. We're anti-idolatry. If you look at the end of that verse, it says, as it goes well with your soul. Listen, idolatry never goes well with your soul. And so then we got to start out and say, okay, wait a minute, what's idolatry? Here's a definition that came to me this week. It works for uh, this teaching at least. Idolatry is when God gives us a good gift, but we worship the gift instead of the giver, such that the gift becomes our God. Now you'll notice that God there at the very end is a little g God because what we do is we take something in, in the created order and we take that thing, that gift from God, and we start to worship it. It becomes our fulfillment. It becomes our sense of value, worth, our meaning, our purpose. It becomes our director. In other words, so it will call the shots in our life. That is a little g God right there. And so for, for you to help capture what that might look like, I'm going to ask Gary to come on out here. Gary Durbin is going to help me out to show you what this might look like. All right, so <clears throat> Gary is playing the role of God. After all, we as a society tend to idolize our musicians. Let's make it official, right? There it is. So... <clears throat> So Gary's playing the role of God. Now, God has brought me a gift. And here's how, and this gift, let me tell you, this could be sex. This could be my kids. This could be money. This could be wine. This could be sports. This could be any kind of good gift that God gives to me as his son. 
And what, what we want to do with that is I want to receive that gift from God. And what I want to do is take a posture right here. And I want to have communion with my God. Like, enjoy him and enjoy the gift with him. We're in this together. There's communion. And then notice my posture. I'm in submission. So sometimes God gives rules about the gift. Like with sex, you're supposed to enjoy it in this context, not in that context. And so I'm in submission. I'm enjoying the gift under his sovereignty. And then there's gratitude through the gift. I'm grateful to my God. And then there is worship. So I'm not, my worship isn't landing here. My worship's going through the gift to my God. The problem is this is what we do. We turn our back on God, we walk away from him, and what we end up doing is worshiping the gift. And this is idolatry right here. And it could be sex, it could be money, it could be health. And that's what we do with our health, it becomes an idol. Can you guys thank Gary for me? Thanks, brother. Really grateful for you. That's exactly what we do. We turn health into an idol. It is a good gift. Now, as we talk about health, this week's particular focus is on looks. And by looks, what I mean is physical appearance, hotness, right? Uh, Being beautiful. I thought about calling it beauty, but we hear beauty, we think women. And dudes, we deal with this too, so I wanted to broaden it. So looks, and it's clothes, cosmetics, complexion, hair, your beach body, tanning, Things like grooming and waxing and tats and piercings. I'm not anti-tats. I've got one. I want more. It's not the issue. The issue is these are things that God can give us as a gift, and what do we do with them? Unfortunately, as a society, we have a great idol here. Fitness is, we are so into fitness, aren't we? (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm into fitness, whole Big Mac in my mouth. (laughs) I I understand that. God God bless you. I got some for you too, right? But, but think of all the fitness exercise fads. Like you CrossFitters, I'm coming for you this morning, okay? I love you. I'm glad you're here. But it's not just CrossFit. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's yoga, there's Pilates. What was that, Pilates, right? Pilates, there's Pilates. There's circuit training and spinning and high-intensity interval training. Then there's strength training and cardio. There's aerobics. And, oh, okay, how about marathons? Now, listen, when I was a kid, it was pretty rare to know someone who ran a marathon. You know, you, I'm 50. If you were there, you're like, that was rare. Okay, how many of you have run a marathon? Raise your hand right now. Okay, usually you're like, I'm really proud, but pastor's coming for me. <laughs> All right. how, how many of you have run a half marathon? Okay, see how prevalent that is now? We're, uh, that's not bad. You didn't do something wrong, but we're shifting as a society towards an idol. And then there's things like exercise equipment. We market exercise equipment like crazy. You know, they got the belts that, so that you can watch TV and get abs, right? Like only an American thinks you can be a couch potato with abs. Stop it, right? Like we got that. And then there's exercise videos. I'm guessing lots of you did Tybo with Billy Blanks, right? But there are so many of them. I want to suggest a new one for you. It's called Prancer Size. Enjoy this. We're going to really cut the noose and let it loose with the Prancer Size Gallop. That's all I can handle, okay? But listen, good news for you. There's a whole video. 
It's free, it's on YouTube, and it's in high definition. So you, she covers the four various forms of prancer size, and you can get in shape with that. All that's exercise, but what about the diet end of it? We have so many fad diets. Look at all these, right? There's cabbage soup, grapefruit, cottage cheese, Beverly Hills, Elizabeth Taylor, Scarsdale, Adkins, Slim Fast, South Beach, Paleo, Keto, Intermittent Fasting, and Whole30. Now, right now, some of you are going, hey, that's not a fad diet. That's really good for me. I'm glad you're here, okay? So, like, we've got, like, when you have that many, come on, there's something wrong with us, right? Sometimes you can't do the diet on your own. So we got Jenny Craig, we got Weight Watchers. That's not, those aren't bad things. But it, it, it adds to the pile. Listen, this is the time of year when people make New Year's resolutions, Right? You know what the top two resolutions are every year? Exercise more. Number two, lose weight. This idol doesn't take the top spot. It takes the top two spots. As a society, that's where we are. Now, I am not finished exposing this idol. We're going to come back to that a little bit more. But I am going to pause for a second. Because I need to let you know a balancing thought here. And it is this. God is in to beauty. God's into looks. He absolutely is. He is a creator. He is an artistic creator. He created beauty. It was his idea. And look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, good for food, it doesn't have to look good. It's good to eat. Good for you, right? But he intentionally injected aesthetic, physical looks, beauty into his creation. That was his choice. In fact, look at some of his art. He does that stuff for giggles. That's just who he is. He is into beauty. And then, if you read through the Old Testament, <clears throat> at first the people of God did not have a place in which to meet with their God. And so he commanded that they build a tabernacle, which is basically a big tent. Now what God did not say is, hey, grab any old tarp and throw it up. That'll do. We'll meet there. No. You look at it, and there are detailed instructions on how to make it beautiful. How to make it aesthetically pleasing and just jaw-dropping. God is into beauty. And, and he even gave it to humanity. We are part of the beauty. If you read in the Old Testament, the book called Song of Solomon, a lot of it is Solomon rejoicing in the physical beauty of his bride. We're not talking inner beauty. Oh, she had a nice personality. No, it's not what he's saying. He's like, he, you go to chapter 7, he describes his bride from head to toe. It's very poetic, and he concludes in verse 6, he says this. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. And then he goes on to describe one particular aspect of her physical beauty that I cannot even mention on a Sunday morning. Some of you right now are like, I got to read that book. That's, that's how pastors inspire Bible reading right there, right? Song of Solomon. But it's all about physical beauty, right? Now, as made in God's image, we as humanity are uniquely able to appreciate beauty. Look at what this pastor, Matt Capps, said this. He said, first, God is the source of beauty. Second, humanity's preoccupation with beauty and aesthetic experience is God-ordained. God offers humanity privileged communion and experience over all other created beings. 
One will not find a golden retriever reflecting on the majesty of a coastal sunset or intentionally enjoying the masterful compositions of Mozart. The capacity to enjoy and experience beauty is a privilege God has offered to human beings alone. All right, so, so catch this. Beauty and, and the appreciation of beauty is a gift in Gifts are good. It is a good gift. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we worship God through it or do we worship the gift? Does it become an idol? That's the issue. Have we turned towards idolatry? All right, well, let's continue then to look at the idol as it impacts our culture. See, our society is totally into vanity. Vanity is in vogue. It's unashamed. It is admitted. It is out there. Talk about spending. Studies have been done that women in America will spend, on average, through their lifetime, $250,000 on beauty. It's a quarter of a million dollars. Guys are a little bit less at $175,000. Now, let me pause there for a moment. We tend to caricature the idol of vanity as a female problem. We think this idol of beauty, it's a female thing. Ladies, you've seen the men, right? You know. You see us suck in our gut and flex in the mirror and we're concerned about going bald or turning gray or whatever it is, right? Like you see, we've got an issue here as well. So we might not spend the same amount of money or time, but we might have the same exact worship problem in this area. And so men and women together in America, we share in this, the beauty industry in America is $50 billion a year. For, for context, that's larger than the gross national income of Libya and 100 other countries, just what we spend on beauty. It's a big deal to us, perhaps an idol. In fact, some of that spending is done on tanning. Now, with tanning, we know it gives us skin cancer, but the idol demands it, so we do it anyway. Think maybe we have an idol? Just maybe, just maybe. And this idol, it has escalated into unattainable or fake beauty. Okay? So, ladies, listen. In order to be valuable, you need to look like this woman right here. Okay? In order to be valuable, you need to look like her. Here's the problem. Look at the next picture. That woman doesn't exist. That woman's completely fake. That's Khloe Kardashian on the right. There's her edited image on the left. Khloe Kardashian doesn't even look like that woman. And so what our society is saying to you is in order to be valuable, you need to look like somebody that doesn't even exist in reality. What a trap. And there's so many examples. Like, look at this next picture. The the woman on the right, this young woman, is drop-dead gorgeous. Not good enough. Image on the left. We're saying that's not good enough. It's just such a losing game. It's gone from the idol of beauty to another level. It is fake beauty. And so cosmetic surgery and Botox injections, that is skyrocketing as an industry because we're into fake beauty. And then social media has come along and added a whole other dimension to this whole problem with selfies. And with selfies, you can do filters. Now, this is not just about dog ears and stickers and stuff like that. 
But you can do filters so that you can remove any blemish. You can smooth your complexion. You can thin your nose. You can plump your lips, whiten your teeth, enlarge your eyes, whiten your eyes, make your eyes pop, all kinds of You can change your curves. And this is not only on still images, but now there's apps, so it can do it in live video. Like change your nose through live video. It's crazy. And what it's leading to is a problem called selfie dysmorphia. Selfie dysmorphia is this. It's a body image disorder defined as a need to heavily edit one's own digital image and an intense dissatisfaction with one's actual appearance after using digital filters. How many of you are thinking of your teenage daughters right now? Because that, that stuff's real. This, this idol is, is killing us. Listen, cosmetic surgeons have noticed a trend that uh, it used to be that people would come in with pictures of celebrities saying, hey, I want a jawline like Angelina Jolie. Can you do that? Now what they're doing is they are bringing in digitally altered images of themselves and they're saying, can you make me look like me? Feel that? That's selfie dysmorphia. That's what we've done. As a society, we have left the worship of God. We've gone towards and we are worshiping an idol and it's running our lives and it is ruining our life. So you might say, well, wait a minute, pastor. Is, is it really a big deal? It's just vanity. I mean, as far as an idol goes, is that really so bad? One of the ways I know it's so bad is because first service and this service, y'all are really quiet today. Okay, so, so I know I got you on the hook, right? But, but vanity, it's killing us. And I want you to catch how bad it is. Do you know who in the Bible has perfect beauty? Let me show you. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Who's that talking about? Let's keep reading. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were an anointed guardian cherub. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now you know who we're talking about. That's Satan. That's the devil. That's the evil one right there. That's who that is. Perfect in beauty. How did that happen? What, what happened? Glad you asked. Next verse. Look at this. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. See, Satan viewed beauty as only skin deep. And instead of worshiping God in light of the gift, through the gift, and worshiping God, he turned his back on God and worshiped the gift, and it messed him up. I want you to understand, there's more to being satanic than goat heads and pentagrams. And we as a society are becoming very like Satan in our worship of beauty. This idolatry is destroying us. You understand, idols always destroy you. They don't love you. And with this particular one, with beauty, you always lose. Okay, if you think you have physical beauty, that's what Satan did, right? And what happens is you become full of yourself and arrogant and prideful. You become Sharpay, right? In high school musical, remember how gross she was? Because she knew she was beautiful. 
Beautiful woman. She knew it. That's not good, right? That was gross. Well, there is another alternative. You don't think you're beautiful. Now you feel gross because you feel shame and everybody else has it and you don't and you don't have any value. So, and that reminds me of my daughter. Okay? Uh, while growing up, people would, strangers would stop us in the grocery store to talk about how stunning she is. As she grew into a young woman, she's still beautiful. People talk to us about her beauty. She doesn't know it. She doesn't see it. Now, so what should I do as a dad? Turn her into Sharpay, right? You see, you see how it's a lose-lose? If you win, you lose. If you lose, you lose. All you do is lose. Your idol does not love you. Your God loves you. God loves you. Your idol does not. And so how, how can we move from worshiping again and go back to true health, biblical health? Well, the biblical value in contrast is called godliness. It's not just about physical beauty, but it exists in a wider context of spiritual beauty. And we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. Look at this. It says, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Speaks in there of bodily training. That's fitness, that's exercise, that's getting in shape, that's physical beauty. And it is a good gift. It says it's of some value. That's a good gift. But it contrasts that with godliness, which is of much more value. It's just valuable in every way, both in this life and in the one to come. Well, then what, what's godliness? Well, simply and literally, it means to be like God. You're being godly. Godliness, it's to be like God. And so let me ask you this. Is God beautiful? Oh, yes. God is beautiful. Good, go be like God. You want to be beautiful? Go be like God. That's called godliness. And note, it's totally non-physical. And so your question for you, is that your New Year's resolution? To be more godly? Is that your life's aim? Is that your highest goal? I just want to be like God. What does that look like in our lives? Well, I already pointed out when Gary was here, it, it means communion with God. Godliness, I interact with him all day long. It means submission to God that he's calling the shots in my life. It means gratitude toward God. It means worship. So my worship doesn't land on the gift. It moves through the gift and lands on God. That is all growth in godliness. That's what we need. So your beach bod might turn some heads, but your beach bod will never turn God's head. It won't. And it won't satisfy your soul. Listen, listen really carefully. You cannot Photoshop your soul. You can't Photoshop your soul. And so godliness is what satisfies both now and in eternity. This is so important that God wants his daughters to understand this. Speaking to women, look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
funny, some women reject this verse. I don't want to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Do you understand this verse is freeing you from viewing your value as only physical beauty? You got to grab this one with both hands. Now you say, well, wait a minute, what's going on there? Because I thought the scriptures affirmed external or physical beauty. Yes, they do. And so in order to better translate the Greek, some English translations slip in the word merely. Don't let it merely be external. Why? Because what was happening is some of God's daughters, the disciples of Jesus, some of them were kind of like really looking up to and trying to be like the Egyptian women back in that day. The Egyptian women were spending hours a day on hair and makeup and clothes. And so some of the disciples of Jesus were starting to do that in exclusion to pursuing godliness. And so here you have God saying, daughter, no, 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 you are so much more than that. I love you so much more than that. Beauty is so much more than skin deep. I think God wants to say that to some of you this morning. Now, remember this is true for us guys as well. There's a great contrast in the Old Testament between King Saul and King David. When the prophet went to anoint Saul to be king, this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Okay, th- this, this is a dude, but he's a Kardashian. This is a Kardashian king, okay? And he was the worst king Israel had. He proved the point that beauty is not just skin deep. That's a Kardashian king. So what, what happened is God said, okay, we're going to have the next king. And he sends Samuel to go anoint the next king. He goes to Jesse's house. When he walks in Jesse's house, he sees Eliab. And he's like, wow, another Kardashian. This guy is smoking hot. It's got to be him, right? And here's what happens in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outer appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You understand, David was such a pipsqueak. They didn't even call him in from the fields because they figured it surely wouldn't be him. It would be one of the other brothers. And so they, what they did is they passed over the guy who would be a quote-unquote man after God's own heart. That's godliness. Deep, deep character. And David would end up being the greatest king Israel ever had until Jesus. See, beauty is more than skin deep. And folks, you cannot Photoshop your soul. You can't. And so we've got to turn from a narrow definition of skin deep beauty to a broad definition that includes godliness. And we've got to quit trying to be like Kardashians. Like, think about the insanity of that. They're so cardboard, they're so plastic, they're so thin, and, and, and yet we're trying to be like that instead of being like our God in all his radiant splendor? That's where we've got to move. Now, what I want to do in, in, toward the end of this, I want to close with some clarity. See, beauty is a gift, and a gift isn't bad. The question is, what do you do with the gift? Have we turned it into an idol? Are we enjoying it under God? Which is it? Is it good or is it bad? How, how am I doing? So I'm going to give you a couple lists. The first is the idol. Uh, so for the idol side of it, one of the things is you have a narrow definition. 
Okay? Uh, instead of godliness, excluding godliness, I've defined beauty as only skin deep. If that's you, you got an idol. Second problem is an issue of value. So if I uh, have beauty, uh, then I'm valuable. If I don't, I'm not valuable. And many of us have accepted that very thing in our heart, and that is an idol that is kicking your butt. That is just not what God has for you. You're so much more valuable than that. How about vanity? Vanity is worth, dang, I look good. And, and, and we move towards self-worship. Now listen, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to lift him up. We're supposed to make him look good. And I am so in the process of lifting up myself and making myself look good. It's not who we're supposed to be. That's an idol. And then there's the issue of comparison. <laughs> comparison. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. It steals joy. Because now I'm no longer satisfied with the gift God's given me. I've compared it to the gift he's given you. Now I don't like me. When I was writing this sermon, I was sitting at a coffee shop. Across from me was a table of four young women, probably college women, and I could see them checking, comparing themselves to each other. Like as the table conversation shifted this way, this girl on the right, she knew the, nobody was looking at her, so she started checking out the other girls and adjusting, and you could see the comparison going on all the time. There's no joy in that. That's an idol. Another way you can tell the idol is the issue of lust. Now, lust is when I take the good gift uh, that God's given me. Now, in my case, I'm a dude, so it's going to be female beauty. God has given female beauty to the world, and instead of enjoying that, he's the artist. I'm not worshiping the art, but the artist, and, and through that, I'm under his sovereignty. No, no, no. I've taken that over here, and I'm worshiping just female beauty, and it calls the shots in my life. Lust. That's the idol right there of beauty. And then lastly, the issue of devaluing, where we devalue the image of God in other people. So we have, studies have shown, we have this tendency when people walk in, like we, we make an instant value judgment on their, their worth based on how they look. And that happens even in church. So somebody new walks in and we look at them, valuable, not valuable. That's so terrible. Instead of seeing the image of God that's stamped on them, they're human. So they have value, worth, and dignity. That's the idol, and it's kicking our butts. So how do we get past that and move back into a posture where it is a gift enjoyed under God? A couple things. Communion. I don't mean what we practice once a month. I mean communion with God, interaction with God, loving God, enjoying. So I use beauty as a way to interact with my God all the time whether I'm seeing it in others or working on it in myself. And then secondly, expression. Expression is a great thing. Listen, God expressed himself through beauty. And so if I'm going to be like my God, I'm going to use physical appearance to express myself, just like the great expresser himself, God. That's okay. That's good. Thirdly, stewardship. Okay? Stewardship, like... God has given you a gift of your beauty. Do the best you can with it. That's stewardship, right? We tell our kids growing up, clean your room. Don't leave your bike out in the rain. Why? Because you've got to take care of what you've been given. All right, listen, I'm telling, some of you got to clean your room, okay? But we, we want to say, listen, if I take what God has given me and do the best, that's good. That's under the sovereignty of God. That's a good thing. And then there's the issue of discipline. 
discipline, I, I've noticed discipline either rises or falls in my life together in all areas. Meaning that when I am exercising, it's also the time when I tend to be spending more time in the Bible and in prayer on my own. Those go up or down together. So when I pursue exercise or diet stuff, I'm pursuing discipline before the Lord, and that's a good thing. The next one is to bless. Now, I'm going to camp on this one for just a bit. Because one of the questions we got to ask is, am I looking to bless others or to bless myself? That's the question there. Now, this is particularly important if you are married. Okay? If you're married, listen. So if you are somebody who is rocking that 70s porn stash, I have no idea how a picture of one of our elders just got up on the screen. Matt, I will look into that. Laura, we love you and we're sorry for you. So, but, but, but seriously, let's get back to business here. So, so if your wife likes your long beard, awesome, rock it. If your wife hates your, your long beard, why are you doing it? Why? You've got one person to impress, one person to love. You do it for her or don't do it for her. Like that's it. The whole goal is to bless your wife and, you know, wives, vice versa, right? You're, like, some of you, you dye your hair. Does your husband like it? Like, we give a gift to each other. Now, if you are single and, and you want to rock that creepy pedophile look, go ahead and grow a mustache. I just point out that might be why you're single. <laughs> but I digress, okay? <clears throat> the point is to do beauty, to bless others, not to bless yourself. Are you ready for this? Listen, how you look on your wedding day is probably more about you. How you look for your spouse after your wedding day for years to come is about them. And some of you have worked hard so that you, the pictures look good. Now, oh, you look so pretty. And you got your princess desire and all that stuff. And it's really about you. But can you give a gift to your spouse all marriage long? That's about them. Now, I'm going to give you a caution with that. Beauty is a gift you give to your spouse, not something you demand from your spouse. Be very careful with that. Very careful. But you'll get it in this idea. Listen, I work really, really hard on my sermons. The question is why? If I'm working hard on my sermons because I love you and I want to bless you and I want to give to you, that's a great thing. But check this out. Try this on for size. How about this? I work hard on my sermons because I want you to think I'm awesome. I want you to worship me. I want you to pedestalize me. I want you to kneel before me. Does that feel gross? Take that to your beauty. Do you pursue beauty in order to bless, or do you pursue beauty in order for people to worship you? That's not good. That's not good. So it's to bless. That's a good thing if you're blessing others. And then the last one is this, to have a broad definition of beauty. We started out with a narrow definition with the idol. This has a broad definition. Listen, we have to keep physical beauty in the context of full beauty. That is godliness. Remember, Satan is the poster child for beauty that is only skin deep. Contrast him, if you will, with Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it's in the Old Testament, but it's a messianic prophecy about Jesus. Listen to what it says about him in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And yet Jesus is stunning. Jesus is gorgeous. He's amazing. 
Why are we trying to be like Kardashians? Could we instead try to be like our king? Let's pursue being like Christ. Aren't we supposed to be like Christ? Let's go be like Christ. And that's what I want. In fact, bow your heads with me, if you will. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to do a mental exercise right now. In your mind's eye, I want you to picture yourself with your back to God, kneeling before the present of beauty, the gift of beauty, and it is your idol. It's running your life. It's ruining your life. It's got you in its grip. You will not let go of it. And in your mind's eye, I want you to picture yourself right now standing up, taking that gift, walking over to the Lord. You kneel before your God right now. See that? Kneel before your God, and you put that gift on your hands, open-handed. He can take it. He can leave it. It's up to him. He's your Lord. You just want him. You don't want the gift. You want the giver, and so you're going to worship him. Father God, we repent right now because we admit we have taken your good gifts, we have made them into idols, we have worshipped them, and they're just destroying our lives. And we want during this time of worship to return to you and worship you. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.